This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. Grief never ends, but it changes. It's a passage, not a place to stay. Grief is not a sign of weakness, nor a lack of faith. It is the price of love. Valerie Atelis interviews Brian Hartsman, a grief coach and loss support life re-entry practitioner. Brian is a grief coach, working with people struggling to find their footing in the strange new world they find themselves after experiencing the loss of something dear to them. By his late 30s, Brian had reached what felt like the definition of success. He was almost 20 years into a successful IT career, and although he was divorced, his second marriage was perfect, bolstered by the lessons he'd learned from his first marriage. He and his new wife had a great co-parenting relationship, raising his kids with his ex-wife, and their very modern family was thriving. This seemingly perfect world was challenged when his wife was diagnosed with cancer. While they remained strong through her two years of treatment, she ultimately succumbed to the cancer. By the time he was 40, Brian had been divorced and now widowed, adrift in a world that no longer felt safe or enjoyable. Feeling the need to hold it all together for his family and friends only served to further compound his grief and isolation. These experiences brought Brian the gift of grief. As Brian learned, one can either break down or break open. We break down when we hold on to the world that no longer exists for us, but breaking open allows us to thrive in any possibility. In breaking open, a sort of post-traumatic growth can happen as one sheds the ideas they held about how they knew the world and their life to be, and live free of much of the stress and angst of that way of being. Brian found peace and a new life through leaning into his grief and embracing the Buddhist concepts of presence and impermanence. He is now trained in grief coaching and as a death doula, and supports others as they struggle with grief and challenging life experiences. Caretaking, elder care, death of a loved one, or the ending of a significant chapter in one's life. He also founded a support group for widowers to commune with others who get it. He learned that men struggle differently with grief in our Western culture, and how they are expected to grieve, to be strong. The Widowers Group provides a safe place where that stereotype can temporarily be set aside. Brian lives and works in Seattle, supporting clients locally and remotely. Meet Brian at brianhartsman.com. Here's the interview with Brian Hartsman. In your own words, who is Brian Hartsman? Um... That's a that's an interesting question. I think if um, if I'd been asked that five years ago, it would be a completely different answer, and yeah. that's that probably informs what the answer is now. I think Brian Hartsman is someone who's on this journey of discovery with everybody else, and 
I believe I'm here for a purpose to experience something. And I'm someone who's just trying to get through to whatever my finish line is and have that experience. I feel kind of almost like a cat. Like I've been and had a number of nine lives and i i think i kind of counted i'm on like life five by now different iterations of me so i think kind of my definition has become more fluid from there when you say i am on the journey of discovery do you have any idea could you describe what are you trying to discover or what are you aiming to where you want to go from here forward my life the past few years has kind of has brought me more of uh, a lot of Buddhist study and understanding. So I feel like my goal is reaching towards that kind of enlightenment of impermanence and presence and just being present and accepting the, the world of my life as it is and the impermanence of it and accepting it in a, I feel like acceptance is one of those words that can be it can kind of have a, have a resignation sound to it. And so I feel like my goal is to reach that acceptance without resignation and with compassion. And, but I also, I recognize that if I ever get there, then that's Buddhahood. And I realize that, you know, then you're done. And so I, I accept that I probably will never quite fully get there, but that's kind of the, the whole journey and part of being here is to experience and learn those lessons. What makes you believe that you're not there already? Because I have moments of, I've, weakness is the word coming to mind, but I don't think it's necessarily weakness. But I, I have moments where I'm just like, oh, yeah, okay, that was a very, you know, I'm checking out today. Or, you know, I'll have kind of a grief wave or a heart punch and I'm just kind of like, all right, I'm clearly, or I'll be cranky. And I'm just like, all right, this is what's happening today. So I'm, I'm clearly not there because if I were fully unattached and in, accepting impermanence and presence, then those th things wouldn't affect me like they do. But I also really relish those experiences where I get to really feel. To what you just said, what comes to me is that everything that we see in the world, nature itself, it seems so perfect, but imperfect at the same time. So it seems to me like it's not, it's not even realistic to want to get to a point where we don't feel the feelings anymore, the negative feelings per se, because that's that's the area that we struggle with, most of us. I feel that that's where we we learn and experience. I, mean, I, I agree. I, I, feel, I would not want to not experience things. I think it was Brene Brown who has said that you, you can't selectively numb. Mm, and so right, if right. you try to if you try to not feel things, right. then you, you don't experience things. You can't have love without pain um, and vice versa. You uh, can't have pain without love, really. And, and so I think, you know, if you, if you do try to not feel things, if that's your goal, you kind of miss out on a lot, I think. Whatever that end goal or end result is, I don't believe that I'm on a path to necessarily get to that place of pure enlightenment and acceptance. And I also don't believe there's any way that my human mind could even comprehend what that looks like. Right. And I'm really enjoying experiencing life. When it comes to grief, what is another word? What other word would you use for grief as of today? The first word that comes to my head is suffering. As I've experienced, explored my own grief and, and, and the grief of other people uh, that I've both worked with and, and been in um, sessions with, um, I've, I've learned that 
grief is really it's it's the loss of an expected future. Um, you there's a way that you know your life is going to be, and all of a sudden that disappears. And so there's a lot of suffering that comes with that, but I, I think a lot of that comes with the the unease and how do I relate to this world now that is unfamiliar? It's not how it's supposed to be. Um, and so it's it's suffering, but it's more than that because it's kind of it's that discomfort of being in an unfamiliar, uh, scary world now. So it seems to me like the it might be the main component of suffering there is the expectation, this idea that life should be the way I planned, the way I believe it to be. And then when it doesn't really go follow those rules, life itself doesn't follow our rules, then we become disappointed and um, broken, per se. Yes, I I think that's exactly what it is. And but then I also, I feel like that is the, the gift of grief is once you recognize that that you're still existing in the world that's not how it was supposed to be and you can actually have happiness in that world then all the other expectations that you that you've had about the world and how it can be can also start to go away and evaporate and and more and more possibility becomes open to you than you ever believed was there before the purpose of life, what do you think that is? Do you believe that we chose to be here and go through these challenging and difficult times? Um, yeah, I, I do, actually. That's And that's something that I um, I struggled with for a while after my, my wife died was I was trying to figure just that out was what was our uh, not only what was the point of it all, but especially why was I now left behind with, you know, half my life still ahead of me? Um, and, and she wasn't. And what I, I, I did a bunch of reading and read some books. And one of the things that I came to is that, um, which works for me for now. And I realize it's different for, for, for everybody, but, um, that we're, we're here to learn something. Um, and whether we get to do it multiple times or one time, um, I'll, I'll find out once I get to the other side, but I believe that we're, we're here to experience something and learn something we've chosen almost, uh, to experience and learn the things that we're here to learn. And one of the things that she was here to experience was the, the relationship and love that we had. And then also the process of, of dying in that relationship. And then, so therefore if, and she was done. She was here. She learned what she needed to learn and she was done. And clearly I'm not done yet. Um, and so, and, and part of what I chose to experience was that pain and loss. And, um, and also, and, and I, that became more okay and acceptable to me after, um, after I started to have my, my healing and growth out of it and started to realize that, um, while I'm not happy with what happened, that I'm not happy that she died. I'm not glad that she died or, or what we went through. I'm very grateful for the growth and learning, um, that I've had as a result of that and how I relate with the world now. And so, um, it's kind of like, okay, then this makes sense that I'm, I'm here to learn something and I'm clearly doing it. This is something that you always, um, believed in sort of before. Not, not remotely. I, um, uh, I was 
born and raised uh, Presbyterian uh, Protestant. Um, and growing up, I always questioned just the whole idea of like, well, if we you know, go to heaven and live forever as prescribed by all the churches, that just sounded incredibly boring to me. And so it didn't make sense that that was the, that that was how it goes. But then the alternative to that was that we just die, everything ends, and this is all pointless, which also didn't sit well with me either. And I struggled with that for a long time. And actually, it took my wife dying for me to kind of get to that point of, oh, well, maybe they're, you know, we're here to to learn and experience something. Um, and either way, if there is another plane that we get to uh, participate in after this and or even potentially before this, um, it's beyond our ability to comprehend what that is and looks like now. And so I just and and that's kind of where the acceptance starts coming in is like, well, then I just, you know, that's chances are even if I could know what it is, I couldn't comprehend it. So you know, we just keep going. But I, I do believe that we're here to learn something. And that's only evolved um, in the last, I'd say, you know, six years since my wife died. It seems like it takes suffering for us to go deeper into these uh, what we call wisdom or deep understandings or insights, uh, enlightening insights. Do you also believe that it takes suffering to get there or we can learn without suffering? I, I would love to think that we can learn without suffering. Um, and I think that kind of goes back to our, our, our earlier conversation about um, about just that and, and experiencing versus not experiencing. And I have yet to come across anyone who's been able to get really learn and get to the, those points of acceptance and, and compassion and understanding without going through some sort of suffering. Um, and it's uh, it's heartbreaking to I, I to realize that. And I've seen organizations uh, try to do trainings and things to get you there. And I've some, seen some people come yeah. close, but I really, I do. And especially as a parent, um, yeah. I've been so um, pleased with the growth that my, my kids have had um, yeah. since, uh, and this was, it was their stepmother, but since, since she died and their experience with it and who they've become as a result of that. And it's really just kind of reinforced for me that, you know, all I wanted to do was protect them from any sort of pain and suffering, but the thing that I could not protect them from has made them grow um, even you know into things that most people don't learn until late in adulthood they now can impart to their friends. So healing, talk to me for a moment about the healing process, Brian, after the grieving healing process. What are some of the misconceptions about the healing uh, journey? Um, I think the... The two biggest misconceptions that I've um, seen observed, I think the first is the um, the five stages of grief. Uh, the uh, is that everyone kind of expects that they'll they get to check off the five stages of grief and they'll be done. Uh, and not only is that not how it goes, it's more like a a spectrum and and a dartboard, and you get to each experience each hour each day depending on how far out you are you get to experience a different stage of grief but also that 
the uh, the five stages of grief were developed for dying people. Um, and uh, Kluber Ross has even come out and said that. Let's just, you know, let's just look, this is not for people who are who have survived, those who have died. This is not for grieving people. This is for people who are dying, as which is why the last stage is acceptance, is you finally get to this point of, okay, it's coming and I have peace with it. Um, for those of us who are, have survived, those who have died or have gone through some traumatic event that puts us into grief, um, the, the beyond those five stages is um, figuring out a new uh, how to exist in the new world that is presented outside of your grief, um, and that's I think where the healing really begins. The the the, the stages of grief help you get express all the feelings and emotions that are kind of holding you down and making you suffer. And then after that, it's it's healing and and learning how to exist in this in the new world. Is that what you call it? Um, life reentry practice. That is, that is actually yeah. That, yeah, life reentry. That is the um, the primary, I guess, tenet of life reentry is that um, it's a that you have an, an opportunity to create a new way of being in the, in the world in front of you. Um, and it, it kind of comes from the, it was created by a woman who, uh, was actually a grief therapist. And then when her, her husband died, when he was 36, um, she realized that, uh, she really had no idea what she was doing and, uh, until she actually experienced grief herself, kind of like what we, what we said, you know, is we need to go through that. Um, and so she did research, uh, into, ways of um growing out of your grief and and actually has done like mri studies on the prefrontal cortex and the um, amygdala and your fight or flight responses and um essentially in your with your fight or flight response you you retreat into this world where your logic brain shuts off and you're living in your emotions um and you do it because the world doesn't feel safe uh our biological predisposition for that uh, comes from our earlier evolution. You're running away from a lion with your baby, and then you're safe. Your amygdala releases, and you go back to being logical, thinking human being. But when you have something so traumatic that um, affects you, the whole world doesn't feel safe anymore. And so, how do you? Your, your brain doesn't know to shut the off that fear response. And so, the life reentry is find helping people find a way to recognize that this new world um, that is not what they thought it was or was going to be is a safe place. And not only that, but there you can do things in this world that are even more than you ever thought you could do. Um, and so really re-enter life and, um, you know, go through, you know, whichever of, of your nine or 20 lives that you have um, and start, start off on that until the next turn. Is that um, also creating new belief systems or replacing them? Uh, yeah, it's all the above. Uh, right. Creating, um, it, you know, not necessarily having to create new belief systems. Uh, I think that that's it's almost inevitable that you create a new belief system because everything that you knew was the world is no longer uh, necessarily true. Uh, so I do think it is inevitable or at least some molding or evolving your, of your belief systems. Um, but, and then some of those, that belief systems is, you know, 
I believed that I, you know, and for me, for example, I believed that I had to uh, follow my dad's path and work for one company for 30 years and retire, be a company man. Um, I worked in IT and I wore a suit to work every day. Um, and then after after my wife died, that just that wasn't it anymore. And um, now I, I I'm self-employed. I do have a couple of different uh, vocations that that I do, and um, it's not all like the world that I believed I had to live in is not that world anymore. So it's it doesn't necessarily have to be your spiritual belief systems. It's every every belief system, things that you knew were your world are no longer necessarily true. I love that idea of questioning everything, coming from a place of curiosity, yet not really paranoia, which sometimes can happen to be part of it, part of the that it can journey. Be, it can be very unsettling for a while. Um, yeah. And that's part of, I think, the process is um, slowly finding, um, you know, getting your feet on the ground, because uh, it is, it's very unsettling when the, when your beliefs, um, and they're very comfortable, your beliefs. I mean, that's why even you know, people in abusive relationships stay in abusive relationships because it's, it's what you know. Do you also teach your clients, people that you come across to become comfortable with the unknown, but also trying to be in that place as well, or practicing to be in a place of, I don't need to know. Yes. Uh, and that, that is one of the things that I do try to work on uh, people with. And so, sometimes it's, you know, whether it's teaching or sometimes I really try to help people discover that. Um, I think it's really the best way of, of teaching. And I remember I, I had one client who um, was really struggling uh, with with staring at the unknown and asked them to reflect on, you know, uh, they told me about something earlier in their life. And I said, okay, well, when you started this job and, and this, did you, this person who was in your life later wasn't even, didn't even exist in your life at that point. And you had no intention of, of being with this person or even knowing them. And all of a sudden your life unfolded that way. And it wasn't completely when you were 20, this was not your expectation of what your life was going to be like. And this is how it went. And it was wonderful. So and once they remembered that, then it was, okay, I'm here again now. I'm at another place where what I expected the world to be was isn't anymore. But I also, great things can come of, of that. And part of that is helping people discover where this already happened in their lives. Because for most of us, it's happened multiple times. You know, we're not the, we didn't go become the astronaut that we wanted to be when we were 12. Um, but we're, you know, as a result, we've met the love of our life. So um, helping people discover that. So you are a grief coach and a life reentry practitioner. You said something that the article you sent me about the difference between breaking down and breaking open. Um, yeah, I've kind of uh, found that with with most people, it, it, we get to this breaking that happens to us when we uh, encounter a traumatic loss or traumatic event that, that brings us grief. And there's, there's a breaking that happens. And, um, if we, if we break down, we pretty much stop. Um, I kind of, um, have view it as, um, if there's a river and there's a big bend in the river, um, when we break down, it's, you know, we kind of just dig our, our heels in and have to fight against the current and, uh, but kind of collapse and don't move anymore. 
Um, and that's because the clearly the world that we were in has ended. Um, and the only way to continue on with that is to follow the, the, the river as it turns. Um, but if we break down, we just, we're stuck now and we don't get, we don't get to go on and move on with our world anymore. And it's, and that's, we're choosing essentially to stay in suffering at that point. Um, but when we break open, which is, I think for most people is almost inevitable. <clears throat> Sometimes we need, we need help or guiding hands to get there or get there more readily. Um, but breaking open and breaking open, we really, we find that not only, the shackles that are holding us in place in our grief and our suffering get to be released, but also everything you know that we've had before in our life get to break free as well. Um, where we break break free of all those things, and it's a, a true breaking open. And it's your your heart also breaks open. If you if your heart breaks down and you break down, it closes up and you're you're done. You can't let anything else in. You don't want to let anything else in. And it's it kind of goes back to that you can't selectively numb. You just you stop loving, you stop feeling, you break down. But if you what if you break open, which really I don't think you can ever stay the same after any sort of traumatic event. So when you break open, your heart also breaks open and you now not only do you let more in, but you let more out. Um and it completely changes your way of being. And it's very uncomfortable at first, especially compassion can be uncomfortable at, at first because there are ways that you know how to exist and, and expect things in life. And it, it's, it can be uncomfortable, but it's, it's a, it's a filling up and overflowing is really kind of what happens. Well, what comes a lot to me listening to you is that everything's happen happening within. So all these ideas of breaking down, uh, breaking open, breaking free. Actually, we're never broken. We're always whole. But then um, it's the, the belief systems we have because it's so, um, when we look at life itself, what's happening here, what this is, anything could happen really if we really stop to, uh, not to think about it, but to reflect on life. You see that anything could happen. We could die at any moment, lose the body, anyone around us could lose the body, or anything could happen, a heart attack, something. But we often don't think about that, and we, or don't reflect about it, and we kind of paint or imagine this perfect reality where nothing really goes wrong. Not to us, right? We witness other people break, all, all these things happening to other people, but we, we don't really think reflect about that could happen to us. We don't reflect on these things. So do you also teach your clients to reflect on what could go wrong or on death itself? I, I definitely encourage people to explore their feelings about death, but not so much trying to uh, explore or figure out what could go wrong because it's um, <laughs> there's a in fact, like one of the biggest things that I, I, I teach, um, what my teacher who really helped get me on this path, um, he told the story where he was really suffering early in his life. He, he had a job that he hated. He couldn't get in a relationship. And his friend would say, don't worry, things will change. Um, and then he uh, later on, he got a job that he didn't like. And he was he was still struggling with dating. And he says and his friend says, don't worry, things will change. And then finally, one day he he was elated. His he has a job that he loves, and he 
Uh, he's in a relationship that, you know, is the perfect match for him. And he was just so exuberant. And his friend says, don't worry, things will change. And it was just so impactful that if, you know, keeping that mindset of don't worry, things will change. It's not a matter of what could go wrong or what could go right. It's just things will change. And um, so it's really what I try to encourage people to contemplate is that um, when has this happened in your life? And it hasn't been scary because it's what has happened. And so can we really find a center in that place of things will change? Um, And it's, it's hard, uh, especially because we get very comfortable and complacent (laughs) with with whatever is currently happening. Um, Right. If it is good, especially if it is wonderful. Yeah. But it is. And, and so really, and then, then it becomes a, you know, everything is a practice in life. And even with even for me, you know, I, um, I will get comfortable when things don't quite go the way that I've wanted them to go, then it's, I, you know, I have to be mindful and remind myself, okay, this is just, this, and I can get upset about it. And that's perfectly and that's the one of the other big things I've learned out of the my Buddhist training is um, self judgment and uh, trying to have some self compassion and be like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm upset right now. And that's, you know, and that's okay. This is, this is me worrying. Right. And, um, I'll feel better later. I just can't fixate on it. I love that, that idea of the way you put it's very positive. So don't worry because things will change good or bad. Yeah. That's a very wise place to be not expecting things to go our way. Right. Well, and I do think that that's that's where a lot of suffering can come from is not not necessarily suffering from when things go wrong, but suffering from everything is so right right now. I really don't want things to be different. And like, I want things to can't stay this way. You get attached to that. It's the especially the attachment from a good thing or to a good thing can even bring more suffering than. True. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh, wow. So attachment is really the key message here, the non-attachment, actually. Right. Which is and yeah, and there's a there's I think with everything, there's a balance. Can you be can you have hope and aspirations without being attached necessarily to that outcome? I really want to to get this job. or I really want to um, to do this this summer. And if you're really attached to that, then you can get disappointed, but you can still if you if it, at this point if it doesn't go exactly the way you wanted it to, but if you can have hope and attachment to or hope to, I I really I would like things to go this way, and then when things go sideways, it's going to be like oh okay, we're things are going this way now, and hopefully you can look back and be like wow I'm really glad things went that way. Um, but and so the whereas you couldn't even see that it was positive that things went a different way because you were so attached to that one things working out one particular way. Actually, speaking of attachment, yeah, there's a quote in one of your blog posts that I really liked. It says, grief never ends, but it changes. It is a passage, not a place to stay. Grief is not a sign of weakness, nor a lack of faith. It is the price of love. Mm, yes, I, I I just got chills when you read that back to me. I especially because the grief it is it's the it's the price of of love and and I think that it's um, yeah if you if you love truly and deeply then it it will hurt truly and deeply but it's also um, 
but yeah, it's, it's exactly, it's the price of love. Yeah. That is, uh, to me, kind of, again, wisdom, maturity, maybe responsibility comes to mind, but also freedom. This idea that we can attach, that we have the freedom to attach to love deeply, as you said, and um, be willing to pay the price and be okay with that. So if we can hold these two ideas, so you can live this kind of life, then it's it's a gift, as you say, the grief, the, the gift of grief. So that's because we're always losing in life, aren't we? Yeah. And, and that's actually, that's one of the, um, I, I say it a lot, especially when I'm first talking to people about grief is the word loss. But um, I've actually, I learned actually through some of my death doula training to stop using the word loss. And that's one of the things I coach my people on doing is is their words. And if we say loss, like I lost my wife or I lost my dog or I lost my job, it's I did this. Um, and it's, it's even though logically we know better, our emotional brain is still always very active and participating in the background. And it still feels like we did something. And so that's why, like, as, I was, as I've been talking with you, I've never said I lost my wife. I said my wife died uh, because it happened and I didn't have anything to do with it. I, in fact, I, a lot of my suffering was me working my tail off to not let it happen. It was completely out of my control, but, um, but so it's, uh, yeah, the word loss, I do try to, um, coach people to start retraining themselves to not use that and just kind of state what happened. I don't think we can prepare for these things anyway. No, we can't. everything that we can prepare for would be the one thing we didn't think of that happens. Mm. I remember sitting in my support group early on, and as you, as I look around the room, everyone's you know checks in with why they were there and who who, who died, and it's you know heart attack, avalanche, box truck, drunk driver. As you go around the room, like we're all under sixty and all had somebody die through some completely unexpected thing that happened that wasn't supposed to happen, and when you for me, you know, years of, of having that in my face really helped me see that it's, you know, tomorrow is not promised to anybody. Um, and so, and unfortunately, most people don't want to recognize that. Um, and that, and that's part of the gift of grief as you start living with today, because you really, you now experience that, you know, it's anything can happen around the corner, both wonderful and horrible. Is that brought you to a place of practicing gratitude more often, Brian, these days? Yes, definitely. Um, I have, um, I, and sometimes I don't even recognize that I'm having gratitude. And like, you know, it's just, it kind of shows up as, you know, joy or appreciate, appreciation. Like I said, with, with my kids, seeing them um, and what, how they've grown out of this, I get, I just have such a swelling of, it's and it's it's almost more of a this is why I'm going this is why we're going through this or or this is this is kind of this is why what we've gone through is okay um, because you know yeah. so yeah definitely gratitude and a lot of things and I also say a lot of compassion because um, I've really um, start to when I see someone who's struggling or you know we have a lot of street homeless out here in Seattle and you see these people who are um, struggling you might have you know 10 years ago i might have kind of cringed like oh like that's gross or you know i don't want to be near that and now when i see them i my first thought is god i wonder what they've gone through uh i've i've been in moments where i've been walking down the street 
talking to myself, having a flashback. And I'm sure I've looked crazy at times uh, since this has happened. And so now I, when I see someone like that, I'm, my first thought is, oh, what has happened? That's, you know, they've really, they've been through some stuff as opposed to like thinking, like cringing and saying, oh, they've made bad decisions or like, sure, they may have made bad decisions, but they've also probably had some really rough experiences that brought them there. So we're almost at the end. And I do have a few more questions for you, the ending questions. But before that, Brian, I had so many other points here, not enough time. <laughs> but um, I love what you said too, in one of your blog posts, you say, I found a way to be happy within myself, confident and without the need for someone else to bring me happiness. So that's the, the kind of responsibility that uh, I think I spoke of earlier, like taking responsibility now for your own happiness, the way you feel and, and don't feel or whatever comes. So that that's a very, very, to me, enlightened place to be if we can stay there, which is not a destination either. So it's okay <laughs> to let other people to make you happy too. That's also, everything's included. But I, I do love this as a foundation. And yes, you want to make a comment? Oh, sure. Well, I mean, just, it, it's really, um, it's changed all of my relationships, both with, you know, with my family, my, my parents, and then with, you know, in dating after having loved my life die. Um, change it. I, I now, how I relate to people and what I, I don't put my happiness on someone else as their responsibility anymore. Um, and so now it's, you know, they just get to add to it, uh, which is, which makes life so much and relationships to both, you know, intimate and not intimate, uh, makes relationships is so much easier when you're not putting that responsibility on somebody else. Um, rather you just get to experience them. Also briefly, talk to me about the support group that you founded and also how men experience grief differently than women. Sure. Yeah. Um, I noticed as I was going through my own support group that I was attending, uh, men kept on dropping out. Um, and then I'd, I'd, I'd done a little bit of research or just books that I'd been reading. Um, someone talked about how men just have this this box, at least in our culture, an expectation of you're supposed to be strong and just never leave that box. Like the word cowboy up is, is a big term in our culture, you know, just you know, be strong and power through. Um, and one of the men who left the group that I would attend, um, he commented once, he said, you know, Brian, I don't like having to talk about it, but I don't like being around people who don't get it. Um, which pretty much meant that his choice was to be alone because you're surrounded, especially when you're in grief, whether you're a man or a woman, you're surrounded by people who, who don't get it. And they say either really dumb things or they just disappear or they expect you to be all better by now. Um, but as a man, it's, you know, we're taught very early on exactly how vulnerable we're allowed to be. And if you talk about your grief, that's just way too vulnerable and, and emasculating. Um, so, I kind of saw this, this vacant, this void out there where, you know, men aren't able to heal. Um, and so I started this, uh, gathering really of, of men. And I, I, I struggled for what to, what it should be and how to do it. And then I realized that the way that it could be most beneficial was to be the least. And, um, and so we get together once a month and it's just, it's for widowers only. So that way you're with people who get it. You're not with people who don't get it, but you don't have to talk about it. We get together, we socialize, we don't, there's no checking in, talking about 
who you are, why you're there, it inevitably will come up. But for, for a lot of people, just hearing someone else talk about things reminds them of feelings that they haven't even confronted yet. Um, and so it helps bring things out for people. And it's almost turned into a sort of fraternity. You know, when we have a, a new guy show up who he's only a few months out. It's like, all right, let me just tell you what you're in for. This is what we get to go through. And um, and then we get to talk about some things that's not as comfortable talking about with uh, women in the room, you know, talking about dating and what's what's that like when and uh, and the in-betweens of, you know, am I ready to date or do I just want to have you know, some sort of, uh, connection. Um, and dating is really difficult, uh, after your spouse has died. Um, and so it's really, um, it's been, it's been great and it's been going on for, uh, I, I started that group before I even did my own training to be a grief coach. Cause it just, um, I didn't need anything special to get men together. Um, and, uh, it's been, it's been going on now. We, we struggled a little bit during the pandemic, you know, getting a bunch of guys to log into zoom to hang out, it has been, but, um, yeah, it's, it's great. I'm really, I'm really proud of it. And I'm proud of, um, how the men have grown and, um, and been able to heal through it. That sounds wonderful to me. I love how you put yourself in that position to help others, um, just naturally that's what comes across to me by listening to you that you just wholeheartedly just give yourself to these uh, beautiful purposes just to help others. Thank you, Brian, for being you. And I do have two more questions for you, the ending questions. If you knew you would die soon, meaning leave in the body, would you make any change or do anything in a different way? Um, I might uh, work a little bit less. Um, especially like I, I'm not, I don't do some of my grief coaching full time. I do some other stuff on the side. And so I might just to help kind of balance out the checkbook and I'd probably stop doing those things. Um, so I could spend more time with the things that mean the most to me. Um, but other than that, I, I, I remember, I remember years ago, I kind of, I got to a point where I was like, I'm okay now. Uh, like I'm, I'm good. I could, like, I could, I could go tomorrow. Like I, I, I really remember very clearly that moment of, huh, I'm good. And so I don't think I would change a whole lot because I kind of, I finally got to that point of, um, I'm, you know, I'm not living to, you know, in, in the ways that I used to the, the, the way that I believed I had to participate in society. And my last question is what are three things about life, you know, for sure, as of this moment, <laughs> <laughs> Um, the, I, I know that life is, is unpredictable and life is, is beautiful and, um, and life is about connections. Thank you so much again, Brian, for your presence, your wisdom and your compassionate. It's really beautiful to see that I'm always honored to not just talk to people like you, but share their messages and which is we all trying to do same thing, kind of create a more peaceful reality, a more peaceful world. So thank you for that again. Well, thank you for, for doing this and thank you for hosting me. And before we say goodbye, where can we find more information about you, your work, services and future projects? Uh, everything is on uh, my website, brianhartsman.com. Um, and yeah, all my, how I do and what I do, um, is, is hosted there. 
Thank you so much again, and we'll talk soon. Thank you very much. Bye for now, Brian. Bye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Brian Hartsman and his work, please visit brianhartsman.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening, and bye for now.